some things on the front of your mind this summer that you can be praying about this week. Uh, we've got our student ministry is going away to summer camp, and uh, there's about 44 of them traveling, about 37 students and some adults, and, and uh, so if you just keep them in your prayers for, of course, safety, but also for God to just do some great works in their lives, and, and uh, I know for me, uh, God got a hold of my life at a summer camp, you know, and so and really, really changed me around spiritually speaking, and, and so just be praying for them. I'm super excited for them, and I'm excited that I'm sending two away, okay? So a quieter week at my house, uh, and uh, you'll be praying for them. And, and, and for, the, for the students that aren't going, just a reminder, there's no uh, youth group this Wednesday night because most of them are going to be away, so, uh, so just keep them in your prayers, okay? Uh, John chapter 15, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off, and uh, I remember when my kids were younger, um, and... Um, and some of y'all are in this life stage now where uh, when you have to find a babysitter, right? And you find a babysitter and you turn those precious, precious little children of yours over to somewhere else, someone else. And, and my wife and I had two very different approaches to how we would turn the children over to a babysitter. Uh, when my wife would turn the kids over to a babysitter, she would usually spend... 15 to 20 minutes with this babysitter, right? And there were times where she would write out a list with, with time periods and what was to happen in each time period, right? You know, from 5 to 5.15, they're to watch a video. You know, from 5.15 to 5.45, they're going to eat. She would even list, you know, the food, that the selection that they would get and, and how long the food should be placed in the microwave, you know, to be heated up to just the right temperature so that their little mouths wouldn't be burned, you know. And, and this would go on. And meanwhile, I'm out in the car like, let's go. Let's get out of here. You know, we finally got a date. And, and so that was kind of how she would turn her, the kids over to the babysitter. I had a different approach, you know, when it was, when she'd say, hey, get, you know, turn the kids over to the babysitter. I would usually walk in and say, um, we're leaving. Uh, we'll be back at some point, and uh, I would just like for them to be alive when I get back. You know, that's kind of how I did it, you know, and we had kind of different ways of doing that. But, you know, all kidding aside, you know, like when you take your children and you you give them to someone else, like that's an that's an, uh, uh, just an incredible gift, and you're entrusting your most precious possession to someone else, right? And, and, and so you take that with seriousness. And, you know, we've been looking at these couple chapters the last couple weeks that, you know, I kind of told you they, that this, this, this teaching of Jesus Christ that's sandwiched between his last supper where Judas has now gone out to betray him and to turn him over to his enemies, Jesus Christ into his enemies where he'll be crucified and, and it, just this mockery of a trial and a horrible crucifixion and his death and his resurrection kind of sandwiched between those times is this teaching of Jesus with his 11 disciples and we don't get this teaching in the other gospels and it's why I've kind of parked here because it's like you know I feel like we're kind of like in the locker room we're in this special moment where Jesus is preparing his 11 disciples it's really the final few teaching moments that he will have with his 11 and these are critical moments and Jesus is is hand off his ministry, if you will, to these 11 guys, okay? And so he's, in the, he's, in the, he's on the road to Calvary. He's looking death and crucifixion and burial and victory through the resurrection in the face. He's looking 
to his final ascension to the Father. And here's what he says, and here's what we're picking up from last week. John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus looks at his 11 disciples. He says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, this is one of these mornings where I wish I could make the sermon more interesting. I wish I could teach you something that you haven't heard before because I, I like to appear smart and witty and like I've done a lot of homework, you know. And, you know but this is one of these simple truths that I, that, that I can't elaborate on it too much, but it's got such depth to it, church. It's got such meaning to it. it it's, it's the stuff we've heard over and over. And for me, as I prepped this this week and I read this passage and I was reminded of these very simple truths, it's the simplest yet maybe the most difficult command of Christ. He says, I want you to love one another. He's looking at his 11 disciples. He's about to turn the ministry that he's invested here on earth. The God-man come to earth. He looks at his 11 guys. He says, listen, this is it. It's the bottom line. You guys need to love one another in the face of incredible pressure that's coming their way. And this is the command of Jesus Christ to his followers. Love one another. Church, I want you to look around the room this morning. Look at the person to your left and right, all right? These are the people that we're to love, other followers of Christ. And, and by the way, the, the idea of a command is actually the idea of a commissioning, okay? Christ is commissioning us to love one another. And when I use the word commission, if you've been in church life for any length of time, what do you, you generally your mind goes to what? The great commission, right? Like, uh, to, to take the gospel to all nations, make disciples of all nations, the great commission. But you know what? This commissioning goes hand in hand with that commissioning. To, take, to make a disciple of Christ, if you're a disciple of Christ, you're, you're naturally going to have a passion and a love for one another. And it's an extraordinary thing for you to love other people. It's an extraordinary thing. It's a, I would say it's a supernatural thing. I would say it's a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart to, to really love someone else. And so it's in this context, the pressures of, uh, of the crucifixion, Jesus is staring in the face. Listen, these disciples knew what was going on too. They knew it was volatile times. And in the midst of that volatility, Jesus looks at these 11 and he pleads with them. I want you to love each other. And these group of guys, man, they were from different backgrounds and they had different political views and they, they had different nationalities, you know. And, and, and But under the roof of the kingdom of God, everybody's important, everybody is loved by God, and the command is love one another. And Jesus says, by the way, I've set the example for this so you know what it looks like. John chapter 15, verse 13, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. Loving others is the simplest, yet probably the hardest thing to do. To really love someone else. In fact, I would say to love someone else is impossible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I mean, you really can't 
die to you, die to your needs, and love someone else apart from the work of the Spirit of God. It requires, if you're going to love someone else, it, it requires that you die to yourself. It requires that you place the needs of other people above your own. I mean, can I be honest with you for a minute? Like, I have a hard time doing that with the people under my roof. I mean, the people I'm the closest to, right? To really say, I mean, I want to put your needs above my own. It's difficult, right? I mean, we all know 1 Corinthians 13. It gets, gets read at every wedding, right? Every wedding couple says, I want 1 Corinthians 13. The Apostle Paul defined love this way. Ready? Love is patient, Are you patient 100% of the time with the people you're closest to? I'm not talking about the congregate, like people you hardly know here. I'm talking about the people you live with, right? The people you really do love the most. Are you patient all the time? I know I am, all right? <laughs> love, is, love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. I have children, right? Sometimes they brag about their accomplishments to one another. It's not boastful, or it's not proud, and it's not rude. It does not demand its own way. This one gets me every time. It's not irritable, right? It does not keep. It keeps no record of being wronged. How many marriages would be different? If we quit getting historical on one another, right? You remember when you... I thought you forgave me. Yeah, I did, but I'm just bringing it back up, you know? Like, just reminding you. Kept no record of wrong, right? It uh, does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures with every circumstance. You know, whenever I do... Premarital counseling, I, and I've shared this with you many times, you know, I always start, one of my early sessions with young couples is we ta I talk to them about their salvation and what it means to cling to Jesus Christ and what it means to be a Christian. Why do I do that? Because I'm like, we're probably going to read 1 Corinthians 13 at your wedding day. There is no possible way that you're going to fulfill that list apart from clinging to Christ, you want to have a great marriage? Here's what it takes. It takes two people that are submitted to the person and work of Christ. And here's what Jesus is going to tell you. Jesus is going to tell you now. Now that you love me, it's not about you. I want you to die to you, and I want you to love your neighbor. And who's your closest neighbor? Your closest neighbor's right under the roof of your home, right? Just like sacrificially die to yourself and live for them. And I always tell young people, like, if you'll do that, that's some great marriage counseling. If you'll cling to Christ, and, and die to yourself and love your spouse, you'll probably have a good marriage, right? That's how it's going to work. But this is, I mean, how, how, how's, how's that going to happen apart from clinging to Jesus Christ and the deposit of the Holy Spirit in your life? How are you going to do that? I mean, how are you really never going to quit? How are you really never bring up times of the past when your spouse hurt you? How, how are you going to work on being irritable and not being rude? It doesn't happen apart from the work of God which is really the next point that Jesus brings up with his disciples. He says, you gotta, if you're going to love each other, it's got to be intimacy with me. Jesus says, it takes intimacy with me. He says in John chapter 15, verse 14, you're my friends 
if you do what I command. I, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Uh, now you're my friend since I've told you everything that the Father has told me. I love this next verse. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruits that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Church, the reason that we love others is because we have been first loved. All right? The Bible says that over and over and over. The, re- the command to is fulfilled in loving others only happens because we understand we have been first loved by God. John actually elaborates because, of course, John was one of the 11 disciples. He's here with Jesus. In fact, if you read your Gospels closely enough, you recognize that John had a a special relationship with Christ. There was an intimacy there between him and Christ. And so in his letter in 1 John, John says this. He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a what, church? They're so closely connected in the mind of God. If you love me, then then people are a real hot priority for you. He's a liar for he, he does he doesn't love his uh, for he does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I'm going to throw out a biblical doctrine here that a lot of times gets people spun up, and I've never really understand it. It's the doctrine of election. Okay, what that means is God first loved us what that means. I want you to think about this for a minute, because and I, I'm not going to sit here and unpack on soteriology for us this morning. In fact, I, I kind of did a God's eye view of salvation last year, okay, when I did walk us through Romans and spent some time in Romans 9, and I would reference that this morning uh, if you want to talk more about this. But, but here's the idea, okay? The idea is this from a God's eye view of things, that before the foundation of the world, for some unknown reason to me, God looked into eternity future and said, I'll take Sean Brown. My affections are on him, and I love him, and I've set him apart to bear much fruit, is what the next promise says. And by the way, fruit bearing means I've set him apart to love other people unconditionally. And so a lot of people, that spins up for me. I go, what? what? He loved me first? Before I loved him, before I changed my behavior, before I prayed a prayer, before I did anything, he set his affection on me. The God of the universe said, I want that one. I chose you. You didn't choose me. Whoa. Like that to me blows my mind. If you're here this morning, you're a follower of Christ. He looked into turn and said, I want that one to declare my glory for fruit and good works. That should just make us go, What? Wow. Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I chose you to go bear much fruit. Disciples? Now, now here's the deal. The fruit bearing is go love one another. And, uh, and Jesus connects this idea with intimacy, his friendship, you know. We sing the song, I'm a friend of God, right? The miracle of that is that he calls us friend. That's the miracle of that, right? He calls me friend. It's intimacy with him. And the idea is that God loves us, and, and so the overflow of that is our love for other disciples. They're inseparable in the mind of God. 
and they rest in the gospel message of Jesus Christ and, and, and Jesus and the good news of the gospel are right standing before God. We've been deeply loved, so how dare us not love the children of God, right? And so building off last week, the fruit that we bear is to love each other. And, and so, and so this, this section I just talked about, I chose you. I chose you to set you apart to bear much fruit. That's sandwiched between the two commands to love one another. He starts off, love each other, and he says, Here's how, I've laid my life down for you, and I've, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you to bear much fruit. And then sandwiched between that is another idea of, now here's the command again, just to remind you, you're to love one another. And so the fruit that we bear, and we talked about this last week, fruit bearing, the life of a disciple, someone who, whose life bears fruits, are some evidences of our, of the, that the gospel, has saved us and changed us and, and renewed our hearts and molding us into the image of Christ. And so that fruit bearing, one of the key ways we know that we're bearing the fruits of Christ is that we love each other above all else. And so this morning, I want to take a few minutes here to flesh out a little bit. And I've done this before. I've done a whole series on this, but I think it's an important reminder this morning in the commands of Christ. Remember these critical moments, these critical moments where the, the gospel is being turned over 11 guys, okay, in the face of the crucifixion of Christ. In these critical moments, he says, here's the deal. I want you guys to love each other. So let me just permit me this morning to take a few minutes and just show you a couple spots in the New Testament where the Bible says, this is how we love one another as followers of Christ. Because the sandwich of this section is John chapter 15, 17, where Jesus reiterates, man, this is my command, love each other. So the question then is how do we love one another? What's that look like? All right? What's that look like? I, um, there's been a, recently, it seems like in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of Hollywood, what I would call Christian Hollywood movies out. You know, you guys know some of them like, you know, I don't really have a strong opinion about them, but like the Son of God, Noah's come out, God's not dead, you know. And, I, and what it always interests me is, is how I see Christians get like really excited about like, like this is going to change the culture kind of excitement. Like, man, you know, God's going to just do these amazing things because God's not dead is out, you know. The Son of God is out. And, and, and I always look at that and I'm like, they're good movies. I'm not putting them down. I've seen many of them. And, and, uh, but I'm always like, you know, the deal is this. Like when Hollywood puts out a movie, the reason they're putting a the movie out is they figured out these movies make some what? Money, right? And so if it makes money, we'll produce it, right? And I look at that, I'm like, I'm excited about that, but I really didn't need the movie Heaven, Heaven is for Real to tell me Heaven's for Real because I believed it when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and when I come again, I'm going to take you to this place. Like, I believed it back then. Like, I didn't need Hollywood to tell me that. Again, I'm not, being, I'm not trying to be overly cynical, but what gets me sometimes is how Christians get excited about these kind of these big cultural iconic events when the Bible says the world is really going to know about me with how you love each other. That's how it's really going to happen. It's not going to come through Hollywood. You see, what gets me excited is when I hear about a small group at Coastal, you know, and maybe I get by a hospital, I go visit a hospital bed, and there's a small group member, and they go, man, I've been here all day with them. That's love for another person. When I hear a small group, I've heard stories at Coastal where family members in, in Coastal have lost a loved one in another state, and I've heard of small groups that raised the funds and took care of the kids and made sure they got to go out and be with family members. Like, 
That's love for one another, sacrificial love for one another. When I hear that you know, things are going on, a small group of people make sure that there's meals provided and yards are cut and kids are watching, people are loved in difficult circumstances. I'm like, that's love for one another because at the beginning of this teaching that Jesus did, his last teaching to his disciples in John chapter 13, here's what he said to his disciples. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. And the reason I get so passionate about this church is because we're like waiting for this big event to change our culture, you know, to become a Christian nation, if you want. I'd love for us to be a Christian nation. I pray for that frequently. But the fact is, until us in the local church learn to love one another the way Christ has loved us, that's not going to happen. We're the display to the world. It is not the them out there. It is the us in here. Say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian. We better learn to love one another. And by the way, I'm going to point out three quick things here this morning. I don't think any of these things can be lived unless lived out unless you're a part of a small group. In other words, you're in a, uh, there's some community around you of other believers where you can put these things into effect. It doesn't happen in corporate worship. Corporate worship is a big part of growing to be a disciple, but so is being in a small group. So here's the first thing, ready? Uh, the Apostle Paul says this, man, we are to help one another carry the load of life. Right? life ever get heavy for you and you just need, and, 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 and there's people around you that kind of bear your burden, if you will, that kind of lift you up. Man, that's happened for me so many times. There's been so many times where my countenance was low and the community I lived in just lifted my countenance and said, hey, we're with you. We're with you, Sean. We all need that. Paul says this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, share each other's burdens, and in this way, you'll obey what, church? The what? The law of Christ. What's this referring to? The gospel message. What's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is, remember when Jesus asked to sum up the whole law, what did he say? I want you to love God, and I want you to do what? Love your neighbors yourself. The two are very closely connected. If you love God, you love others. And Paul here says the law of Christ. And so the way that works is we bear the load. We carry the burden of others. Literally, the idea is to endure with others. We walk with someone. You know, a lot of times in Christianity, it's like, it's like I feel like in our culture, we're like one big mouth and everybody just knows what we're against all the time. I'm against that. I mean, that's against that. You know, we're just telling everybody what we're against, but we never tell people what we're for. Here's what we're for. We're for loving one another for bearing the burdens of one another. When people are hurting that we're aware of, man, we, we join shoulders and we walk with them. That's what we're for. We need to be helping one another. And Paul pleads with his church, pick up the burden and walk with others. That's what he calls us to do. That's what it means to love one another. He goes on to say in another passage, Ephesians chapter four, he says another way we love one another is to be kind towards one another. There's a kindness towards one another. And Christians can be mean sometimes. I'm not saying we are. In fact, you know, I think we have a phenomenal community here at Coastal. I mean that. But man, we could be mean. I'll tell you, it's a side note, okay? <clears throat> but I'm going to say it anyway. Never, never stray from my notes. Never stray from the notes. No, I'll tell you what. I, Christians in politics stink, man. We get really mean with the President of the United States. I cannot stand, like, whether it's the person you voted for or not, like, at least understand leading this country is, is tough, you know? And I, I hear talk shows, and I'm like, man, really? Like, your president's a person. 
You know, they have feelings, and I'm sure they're trying to do the right thing, whether I agree with it or not. And I don't always agree with even the person I voted for sometimes, you know, like, I wouldn't have done it that way. But they're still present. We're, uh, in fact, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 13, our job is to pray for our leaders, man, because they, gotta, they, they bear a weight, and they're going to give an account to God for their leadership. Even over a country, okay? But kindness, Ephesians chapter 4, 32, Paul says, Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has done what to you? Forgiven you. You notice how these commands to the one another, to love one another, be bear one another, are tied to what Jesus did. They're tied to the gospel. They're tied to how God has loved us first in Christ, Right? Our forgiveness to others has to do with how much we've been forgiven. I want to tell you something. I really never understood the message of the gospel until I understood one very important characteristic of God. That was the holiness of God. When I really grappled with, man, God is holy. He's set apart. He doesn't have sin in his presence. And when I really grappled with, now for me to have a relationship with God came at a high cost to him. Right? The gospel that my sin had to have a penalty, and that penalty was borne by his son on my behalf. Man, forgiveness to Sean Brown came at a really high cost to God. And until I understood that, I'm not going to be a very forgiving person. If you walk around and go, man, I'm okay, you, you know, I'm okay. I'm, I mean, I'm, I've never done, you have this little checklist of things you've never done. I've never done that. At least I haven't done. Let me tell you something, church. You can always find someone worse than you. Okay, I can guarantee you, you can find people better than you, you can find people worse than you. Your, your comparison is wrong. If your comparison is this way, it's wrong. Our comparison is one, time we're going, one day we're going to stand before God and the expectation is perfection in your motives, in your words, in every moment of your day. Listen, there's not a day that goes by that if it was replayed for you on the big screen out of my life, I, there are some embarrassing moments, right? Oh, I didn't say that. Not with that tone, did I? You know, and, and so until I understood the holiness of God, I, that's when I understood the need for forgiveness. And Paul says, just as you've been forgiven, extend that kind of grace to others. Jesus tells a great parable. I was debating whether to read it or tell it. I've decided to read it, okay? Matthew chapter 18. It's a very powerful parable of Christ. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. It says, Peter came to him, meaning came to Christ, and he asked, he said, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, you have to know the context. In Bible times, the Pharisees taught that if someone offended you, you only had to forgive them up to three times. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute, all right? Someone steals from you. They steal from your wallet, and they come back and say, you know what, I stole from you. I mean, I'm really, I'm really sorry. You look at them and go, okay, I forgive you. Just don't do it again. I forgive you, all right? They come back a second time. A couple days later, I, you know, I was short of money. I stole from you. This is time number two, right? Look, I, you got a problem. Like, you got to get some counseling or something, you know? Like, but okay, I forgive you, you know? A couple weeks later, I, uh, I'm, I stole from you again. Third time. What are you going to do third time? So the Pharisees taught you only had to forgive somebody three times, okay? So Peter, he comes to Jesus. He thinks he's going he's gonna to tell, like, like, really show that he's super spiritual, right? So he comes before Jesus. He says, hey, how about if I forgive people seven times, right? Woo! Seven whole times, which is hard to do, right? I mean, to be honest, it's hard to do. Seven times, right? Seven times. 
Jesus says, no, not, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Like, this isn't a math equation, by the way. Oh, 490. Okay, we just keep a record, you know. <laughs> you know, the point is, it's, you know, we extend a lot of forgiveness. And then he told the story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be, cap- uh, can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he would be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down on his... Uh, fell down before his master and begged, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and he demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor couldn't wait And he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt was paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. And they went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man he had forgiven. He said, you evil servant, I forgave you a tremendous debt. And you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. That's serious business, church. I'd like to make that lighter for you. I actually did a sermon series years ago titled, Things I Wish Jesus Didn't Say. Like, that's one of them. Wish he hadn't said that, you know. Here's the point of the story, okay. Before a holy God, none of us has the right to hold a grudge. And what forgiveness is, by the way, forgiveness is not the same as justice, okay? There is a place for justice. Forgiveness is turning justice over to God. I want you to hear that. Forgiveness is turning justice over to God. God, you're going to take care of justice in your time, in your way, okay? And so, we show kindness and forgiveness to one another. That's how we love one another. Third thing is this. I'll finish up with this, okay? Uh, We're free to serve one another. We're free to serve one another. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, uh, Paul says, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. By the way, we sang about that this morning, right? Man of sorrows, whom the sun sets free, is what? Free indeed. And we all, we, man, we love that. We sing with our arms raised. And here the Apostle Paul elaborates on that for us, right? Here's, so when you're raising your arm, you're singing, man, I'm free indeed, right? Here's what you're free to do, Ready? But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to do what, church? Serve one another. How? In love. Isn't that amazing? Now, I was talking to some volunteers this morning about how, how we struggle to get volunteers just to serve this church body to make the ministries go. And sometimes, I'm sure for some of our, our leaders and ministry leaders, like, that gets frustrating. But at the end of the day, we are to serve one another in love, right? We're free to serve each other in love. For the whole law can be summed up by this command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware uh, beware of destroying one another. Man, we are free to serve one another. Okay? Again, our freedoms of one another's has everything to do with the gospel of Christ. 
because you've been served by Almighty God, because his gospel has set you free. And so you're free indeed. You're free to let the supernatural work of God set you free to serve others. I gave you three this morning. I could give you ten. How do we love one another? And we bear the burdens of one another. We have tender hearts. We're forgiving towards one another because we have been forgiven much. And we serve one another with love because the gospel message of Christ has set us free to serve one another. I'm going to go back to my opening illustration before I close with prayer this morning. What if I handed my young children off to a babysitter? And I looked them in the eye and said, listen, I'm going to be gone for about four hours. I want you to love these kids the same way I love them. Now, if that needed any explanation, and by the way, that's why my wife makes long lists, because she cares about the temperature of the food before the little babies put it in their mouth, right? So she loves them that much, like to every smallest detail of their evening. And I always teased her about her list, but the list was, this is how we'd love our kids. And it's difficult to transfer that, but, but when I sat down with my babysitter, I looked at them and I said, I want you to love them the way I love them. And if they had a quizzical look, I said, well, let me explain a few things, okay? Because there's some days I don't feel like going to work, but you want to know one of the reasons that I go to work every day, and I try to do it with a good attitude. First, to honor the Lord, but man, God has given me this as a tool to provide for these kids. Man, I'm thankful for that. I love them that much. The day I don't feel like it, I do it anyway. And I love them, man. I make sure that they have their provisions. There's a roof over their head. They have food on the table. I make sure they have that. But more than that, man, I make sure that they got a lot of hugs and a lot of kisses. I make sure their innocence is protected. That's how much I love them. I make sure that times when I don't feel like it, I'm tired, my back hurts or whatever, I still, I get down on the floor and I play with them because they're that important to me. That's how much I love them. And to be clear, if an intruder comes in, I will take a bullet for these kids to protect them. That's how much I love them. And on top of that, little babysitter, I want you to know, like, I'll make sure they're introduced to the things of God. I want to make sure that they have salvation in Christ. So I make sure there's times and spots where we talk about spiritual things so that they become close to God. And I want them to know God and their bents and how God's created them for purpose here on earth. That's how much I love them. And I look at babysitter in the eye and I say, I want you to love them the way I love them. It's exactly what Jesus told his 11 disciples. Look around the room. The person next to you, Jesus loves and God loves. The person at work, God loves. The person in the checkout line, God loves. The person that serves you at the restaurant, God loves. And he says, I want you to love them the way I have loved you. I'm going to tell you something, church. The group of people, the community of faith, the community of believers that gets that, they'll turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Let's close with prayer. God, we want to be that people. That's why some people said amen. God, we, we want to be that community. It says, man, is it not about me? I'm willing to die to self and love others. Sometimes it's a thankless task, Lord. Someone, sometimes nobody notices, but man, I... We want to love your people the way we have been loved. And we understand the gospel. We understand the high cost of our freedom. 
to you, oh God. Cost you your best. Gave us your best, your one and only son. And so as a response of worship to bear much fruit because you chose us, you loved us before the foundation of the earth because of all that, God. We look around and we say, man, we're going we're gonna to love your people. We're going to be kind and forgiving and serving. And we're going to bear some burdens, God, when it's not easy. And we do that as an overflow of the work of the Spirit changing our hearts to be more and more like Jesus Christ. That's who we want to be at Coastal Community Church to make Jesus Christ famous. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Churches is our offering time. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I do want you to know we're not after your money. Uh, so don't feel, as a guest, don't feel an obligation to give. This is just one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal Community Church. Uh, you're certainly welcome to join us in that if you would like for if you'd like to. Uh, as a guest, I'd love to have one thing from you on the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. Uh, we call that a connect card if you would fill that out, and we just want to send you a thank you card for coming. Um, before I turn it over to the worship team, I do want to remind you, we always have prayer team members here on the front row. They wear purple shirts, and man, if you came in this morning, your burden was heavy, you just want to pray with someone, uh, talk to someone, they're here for you, they're here to minister to you in that way, yeah, and they would love um, to pray with you this morning. Joey? Joey?